And especially now, if you're doing it for fun and that's just what it is, is what it is, and you don't care, that's fine. And that's fine. It really is fine. But if you ever want to make it a business and you ever want to have a sponsor, you cannot do that ever. Podcast Junkies, episode 115, ending the year on an incredibly strong note with Glenn the Geek, this week's interview. But in case you missed last week's, I spoke to Rob Dion of Open Sky Fitness. Really, really fun, engaging, (laughs) explicit, uh, laden conversation with Rob. But he just tells it like it is and how he uh, was able to parlay his interest and fascination with fitness into an incredibly popular podcast. And he's been able to speak to some really top shelf guests from the fitness world. And he tells you exactly how he did it in that episode 114 so please check that out uh this is podcast junkies new episodes every week ish um i had some interesting thoughts about this conversation uh, with glenn because it reminded me of the importance of being consistent and and i know there's been a for the most part i've I've been like that this year but i think uh, there's been a couple where i have um let it lapse and simply because of things i was doing as i was building uh, my business uh, for doing full time, uh, full service co- uh, production work for for my clients, uh, that's not an excuse anyway, and that's a bunch of BS. So I I just want to reiterate my passion for this show to you guys, and and conversations like these really really get me excited. Uh, Glenn is the host of Horse Radio Network. If you don't know what that is, he's been podcasting since two thousand and eight, and he they just hit five thousand episodes. Um, They've got uh, just a a ton of shows uh, on the network, and he's recently completed a Radiothon, which is 12 hours of live uh, podcasting, 160 callers, 100 listeners, singing Christmas songs, uh, 2 million Facebook fans engaging, and it was just amazing, amazing stuff that he was talking about. Uh, We also got into the importance of being serious about your show and how much time you actually spend on sponsorships and why as a podcaster it's important to have your sales hat on at all times this week's episode is brought to you by podbean our newest sponsor so if you have a need for your own podcast for an enterprise podcast or you're looking to do some crowdfunding for your podcast i highly recommend you give them a shot the first 30 days are free head on over to podbean.com slash podcast junkies Take a look at all the services they're providing for podcasters to get started with their show. So make sure you listen to the end of the episode where I release and reveal, release and reveal, I just reveal, the uh, retention hashtag. It's my little way of finding out who's listening to the end. And uh, you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Glenn. And so uh, I'll catch you at the horse's tail end of it. Get it? See what it did there? So, Glenn the Geek, welcome to Podcast Junkies. Hey, it's good to be here. Thank you, Harry. So, so Glenn, uh, I'd like to give a little bit of backstory. We've known each other virtually because we sort of run in the same circles, and I think um, your name popped up a lot in podcasters' heads as a result of your appearance at, uh, pod, was, was it Podcast Movement, the one where you appeared? Yeah, in, a couple in, of years ago in yeah. Texas, yeah. And uh, people were captivated with what you had to say, and I think... Um, suffice, suffice it to say that you've been on a podcasting uh, 101 um, tour with all the uh, the podcasters, and I think one of the, the more popular ones was the show with um, Dave Jackson on School of Podcasting. He was just here in the studio and did the live show with us on Friday. We, we initiated him and made him work. So. <laughs> did, he get, did he get to ride a horse? No, well, no, he got to say he is, he is, I'm going to, he, he has said this himself, so I'm not speaking out of school, Dave. Uh, he, he was terrified of horses before he came and he got to meet my pony scooter, who's by the way, one of the most popular ponies in the world, thanks to a video we did of this pony rolling in water. And it now has almost 10 million views. So wow. we call him the most popular pony in the world, and Dave got to meet him and feed him, and he's very gentle. So Dave has a new appreciation. He was out there. I caught him out there taking selfies with my ponies. <laughs> so, <laughs> what is a, a a pony rolling in the water, like rolling around? 
Yeah, we had had a heavy rain and the field was flooded and he loves to play in the water. He, he goes out and he takes his hooves and he splashes and he splashes and then he gets down and rolls and rolls and then gets up and splashes some more. He just plays in the water. And it, we I videoed it. When I finally got my camera out the one day and videoed, videotaped it. And it went, to, it, it went to about 4 million views. And then last year, somebody posted it again. And then it shot up to about 10 million. I, I think so, what happens with those videos uh, is a lot of times the ones that become popular are the ones that elicit this emotion in you of just this genuine innocence and in appreciating the things in life. And sometimes we use that as a reflection for, you know, slowing down and saying, well, if Scooter, the pony can do it, then there's no reason why I can't do that same thing in my own life. And I, I think sometimes we're so caught up in the day to day that we don't stop and, and roll around in the, in the water, if you will. Well, I kicked myself for not putting any marking of the Horse Radio Network on that video at all. Because <laughs> I just posted it. it was my pony rolling in the water, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, later I went, oh, jeez. <laughs> but, but, I, but I think at the end of the day, I, you, you probably, because of your intentions of what you were, you were literally just capturing a moment in time that, and something that was putting a smile on your face. And I think that, you know, in some strange way, that sort of transmits to people and, and they feel like there was no agenda with what you were posting this is just a, a just a really f good good feeling moment and i think that's what captivates people especially nowadays you know we're always looking for opportunities to to have a smile on our face uh, we had a professional rider come out uh yesterday to record a show and she was out out where the pony was and she said wait a minute i know this pony she had seen the video <laughs> it's funny yeah, he says, it seems like he would need his own YouTube channel at this point. <laughs> yeah, that was another mistake I made was not having his own Facebook page and all of that stuff because I didn't plan all this. Uh, oh, that's great. You know, there's a lot of things. I've been doing this, what, in almost nine years now with the Horse Radio Network. We just went over, we hit a landmark this year. We went over 5,000 episodes. And boy, you know, there's so many things you learn along the way, especially when we started because. We, I don't know what I was doing. Nobody knew what we were doing. Yeah. And you know, iTunes had just come in and had just started carrying podcasts. And you, we were just making it up. <laughs> we had no idea. Now, if I knew what I knew now and I could go back and change everything, I'd be twice as big. Well, I think part of, uh, in, in maybe you can attribute this to, to other things in life, that uh, you, we only get better with experience and Maybe if you had known certain things, you would have done things a different way and you would end up with a completely different network or maybe even you wouldn't have, you'd be doing something else. I, I think the fact that you learn along the way, you get your, your bumps, um, your bruises and your ups and your downs, I think all that together really form who you are and form what, what, the, what I imagine what the network has become now. Well, yeah, and, and, and you're right because I had never wanted to be second at anything. Hmm. So that's why I I always get in early on everything. Now, the hard part about that is you're really kind of plowing before anybody else goes through. So there's no roadmap. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what I like about it is it, it's a challenge. I, I used to work in retail and this was about the time Woot started. I started, well, we were the second we owned a retail company in the horse world, and we were the second ones to go online and the first ones to sell on eBay with horse mm. stuff. So I've always kind of liked to do things first. Yeah. I always figured if you're first and you can grow, then everybody else is going to be catching up to you later. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple podcasts out there in the horse world now, but you know we're leading the way, and it would be very hard for them to catch up to us at this point. So I always wanted to be first for that reason, but I'm always still trying to innovate. We do a radiothon. We just did it to Cyber Monday, yeah. and it's our second year with that. It's 12 hours live. We have 30 big-name guests. We had 160 callers, uh, listeners call in. We had 100 listeners sing songs and write poems about us and the the shows and their hosts and their horses and send those in that we played all day. Uh, we, had, we had 20 sponsors involved and gave away almost uh, $5,000 in prizes. And that was something I started because I wanted to do it first in our world. Hmm. And I wanted it to become the thing that all horse people look forward to at Christmas time. And you know what? Now we're getting in two years. It's already at that point. People were taking off work to, <laughs> so that they could listen live all day. You know, so, and, you know, 99 percent of people still listen recorded. But we ha we have a lot more live listeners that day than we ever had for anything we do normally. Uh, and so I think it really is. And in, in three, five years, it's going to become the thing that people look forward to. I had 
I had so many companies asking me to to donate prizes this year because they wanted to be involved in the Radiothon. They yeah. had heard about it. We hit almost 2 million people on Facebook because we leverage. It's one of the things we do with everything we do. So for Radiothon, any guest, any host, we had 20 hosts involved, uh, any guest, any company that was sponsoring all had to do a series of posts on their social media uh, in the four weeks leading up to Radiothon, and we laid them out for them. We gave them a roadmap, told them exactly what to say and post, and they all had to do that. Well, we had some guests that had a half a million each on Facebook. Um, so, you know, by the time we got through all that and then all the sponsors and everything, we hit, you know, we, we know we hit about 2 million people on Facebook and that's, but we require that we, you know, they have to, yes, they pay us to sponsor, but part of the re requirement written in their contract is they have to promote it and, and, uh, they have to promote it the day of the event and we tell them exactly what they have to do. Uh, but to be part of it, they have to do that. And you know, what's funny? They want to anyway, yeah. but the fact that you make them there, it, it almost, it's almost reverse psychology. It makes them want to even more because they value it. Then it's like, oh, we're part of building this thing. If everybody posts it, if, if not only myself, but the 19 other sponsors and the 20 hosts and the 20 guests all post it, then it's going to make it better for everybody. And we're all going to sell more. You, you know what? You know what's interesting about that, Glenn, is is this idea of creating a movement. And like you said, you're only in your second year. But I, I, I think people always feel like they want to be part of movement and part of a movement early on. And you know, it's this 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 idea of when you go see people go see bands and they and they remember when the bands were performing in this dindy dindy basement and now they're you know the the Rolling Stones, for example. Right. <laughs> and so I think there's this aspect of, of human psychology or behavior where they see something that they feel like it's gonna get bigger and they wanna they wanna say, I was there when. That's right. Uh, yeah, I agree. And and I think our title sponsors, we had two title sponsors, and they signed on for the second year within a month of, well, January. They had signed on for the second year. And I bet you they'll be signing on again in January, you know, so because they don't want anybody else. If nothing else, they don't want anybody else having those title sponsor spots. Yeah. <laughs> Especially their competition. So, so something you mentioned, uh, uh, this idea of never wanting to be second at anything. W can you recall back, like, where was that instilled in you? I, at the age of 18, I graduated from high school and I was accepted at Notre Dame. Okay. And I had a teacher that I really liked from high school. How oh, he was a trap. I forget exactly even what. I don't know what he taught when I come to think about it so long ago, but he was just a super nice guy. We got to know each other. We played tennis together and he got quit teaching that summer and went into the insurance business. And he said, Glenn, you'd be really good at selling stuff at the age of 18. He said, I think you should, you should do the insurance business with me. And I said, well, I'll try it for the summer and then I'm going to go off to Notre Dame. My parents were so proud. First of four children going to college and they were Catholic, Catholic, mm. Catholic, yeah. Catholics, Catholic. <laughs> so Notre Dame, you know, was going to be cool. Well, I made so much money that summer. I said, told them I was going to take a year off. And then I never went to college because mm. I, I stayed in sales. I ended up uh, being in the insurance and investment business for 16 years. And then, and then got bored. Uh, I didn't get bored. I got burned out with that and started going into other things. But I, I just, I, I was making more money in that first year out of high school than anybody was going to make in their first year out of college. Yeah. So that's why I stuck with it. I was having fun. I love sales. I was just having a good time with it. And you think that, uh, that, teacher really saw, saw, saw something in you? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, I think he did. And I think, you know, the, I've taught sales for 10 years, too. And we also owned an acting company for 10 years. Uh, I, you know, I, I've, told, I've talked about this on shows before. I believe that everybody, every podcaster, everybody going to college, everybody should have acting classes, hmm. especially improvisational acting classes. That helped me more in my career to this day as a host, as a business owner, as a salesman than anything I've ever done. Learning improvisational acting and learning it the proper way from professionals like we did. And then, you know, we, we had an improvisational acting company for 10 years. We did 450 shows. So we got pretty good at it. Those that experience I had acting was the basis of any success I've had in life. Well, uh, I. I 
It's funny because I studied acting for three years myself, so I can really... You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. and, what, and what is it that you learn in improvisational acting that makes you a good host on a podcast or a radio show? This idea to be, to be able to think on your feet um, and to uh, not feel like you need to have, like, for example, for podcasters with questions and with guests, so many podcasters that are getting started... They're so rigid in, in having these questions and these formulaic questions, and they feel like if they don't get through them, then they'll have failed. And I, I started that early on, you know, and then I the, the acting kicked in, or the what I learned from acting kicked in. I was like, no, just be in the moment and respond to what's given to you. And that's what I started doing. I just started listening, paying attention, focusing on what the guest was telling me. And I mean, some of these conversations, they can go for hours if you're just paying attention. And it should feel like, you know, the, for the listeners, and this is something I always try to do, it should feel like they've come into a room where, you know, Glenn and Harry are sitting at a bar and having a conversation and they're just listening in and it's really casual. And I think that only comes about as a result of feeling comfortable in your own skin. And as you know, with acting, uh, improvisational or otherwise, you need to be really comfortable with being uncomfortable because there's going to be a lot of situations in life that are like that. And the better prepared you are for that, I think the more relaxed you'll, you'll seem. And that'll just come across in your preparation for the show, in your execution of the show, and how you communicate to others what it is you do. Yes, and... There, you'll remember that from your acting classes. Yes, and <laughs> you said the key word in all of that, what you just said was beautiful, but the key word was listen. Yeah. That's what you learn first in, act, in improvisational acting class. Because you can't, you can't be thinking about what you're going to say next in improv. Mm-hmm. because what you're going to say next will get destroyed by what the other person is setting you up with. It, <laughs> yeah. It's never going to go the same direction you expected. Yeah. So that's, that's exactly what you said. And the key word in there was listen. Yeah. I took a, a couple of improv classes. I studied more formal uh, Meisner with um, a gentleman by the name of James Price. And this was in New York city. And one of my students, funny enough, and I, sat next to him in class for about two years. His name is Otto Asando. He's a um, tall African-American guy. And he, just now, and this is, you know, I, I, I was studying probably 15 to 20 years ago, probably about 15, between 15, 20 years ago, and he was in my class. And, and just now he's appearing in movies. He was just in The Born Identity. Um, he was in that uh, HBO show, Vinyl, and it's just been fun to watch him oh, cool. <laughs> have success in someone that was sitting next to me in class. We had a session with, and and I didn't know who he was at the time. He was nobody. He was on. He was on in New York, and one of our actors knew of him and got him to come down and spend two days with us, with my acting company, about twenty of us. We did uh, we did a Benny Hill version of a medieval feast. Okay, and he came down. It was Wayne Brady. <laughs> wow! So we learned improv from the best. Yeah. <laughs> Now, that was a long time ago, you know, when he was a youngster and just getting started, too. But he's always been good. I mean, he's the best improv actor in the world. He's just really good. So what prompted you to go to, to, to go into improv? Uh, I, well, I worked at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. Okay. And I just always wanted to do Renaissance Fairs. So and that's when they were first starting. I was a baby then. It was tiny then. And now it's one of the biggest in the country. And then that first year, I, my wife came as a, as a patron, uh, you know, just visiting. Yeah. And I saw her and said, hmm, okay, she's cute. <laughs> but my job was, I was the town crier because I was the loudest. Okay. <laughs> that's how I got that job. I, w- I was the loudest. And my other title was town crier and flirt. This was pre-AIDS, by the way. So <laughs> town crier and flirt. And I was supposed to do, I did all the make way for the queen and led the parades and all that stuff. Mm. But then also I was supposed to kiss every woman's hand that came in the gate. Wow. And uh, I just saw her. It was love at first sight. We, it, I talked to her. She gave me her phone number before she left. She was with her parents, of all things. She gave me her phone number before she left. I called her and she came back the next week and had sewn her own costume. Wow. And that was it. That was, that was it from then on. And then we worked at Renaissance Fair together. She played a pickle wench. A pickle uh, wench? Yep. She was a pickle wench and did some disgusting things with pickles. And then uh, we did that for a couple of years. And then I stole half their, their cast. And we, we started our own acting company called the Medieval Feasting Guild. And we, we did it at a castle in Reading, Pennsylvania. And we did 450 shows there over the years. So uh, where was home for you growing up? 
in Leicester County, Pennsylvania, Amish country. Okay. The the yeah. one thing I remember from Amish country is shoe fly pie. Oh yeah, my <laughs> wife loves shoe fly pie. She loves shoe. Fly. I like whoopie, whoopie pies myself. I don't, yeah, my my, my parents got bless them. They they took us. We were living in New York at the time. I'm in Los Angeles now, but at the time we did the um, the Griswolds family trip across the country. Stop in Lancaster County. <laughs> and we, I mean, we definitely stopped through, went through Amish, Amish country and had some shoe fly pie, which is, it's always memorable because, uh, I don't, I don't know if we, I remember seeing as many of the, the buggies there. And uh, I imagine the county is, is still thriving, right? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of them have moved out. You know, like any other county, it's getting, you know, more and more houses in development. And the farmers are realizing, the Amish are realizing they can sell their farms for millions and go someplace else and buy t- 10 times the acreage. Mm-hmm. You know, Ohio, Indiana, uh, some of them moved to Florida and th- they've been moving out that way. But, you know, they still, there's still a lot of Amish there and there's still a lot of buggies there. When we were doing driver's ed, that's one of the things they taught you is how to pass buggies safely. Because <laughs> we, you would, you would pass 10 buggies on your way home from school. Uh, you know, it was, that's... my first girlfriend actually was a Mennonite. Really? Yeah. Well, half what? my class were Mennonites. Okay. Yeah. Where do, where do you meet a Mennonite uh, as your girlfriend? In, in high school. In high school, okay. Yeah, there's different degrees. Like the Amish are, are off on their own, but the Mennonites have different levels of Mennonite, and a lot of them were just like you and I. So, you know, so yeah. for the uh, listener, what's the, can you explain the difference between the, or the defining characteristics of a Mennonite versus Amish? You know, Amish are the really, really strict. Yeah. And then the, there's really, really strict what we call uh, black buggy Mennonites, too. And then there's different degrees of Mennonites, depending they would break off and want to do more, okay. <laughs> want to have more things that they could do, yeah. like uh, drive cars. And then there's black bumper. There were black bumper Mennonites, which means they could drive cars, but they had to be all black. The cars were all black. They'd paint the bumpers. Really? That was in the days of silver metal bumpers, and they would paint them. Uh, they're still black Black bumper Mennonites, we call them. And then there were the Mennonites that would be more like you and I and maybe wear the little caps, uh, but they wouldn't watch TV. And then there are the Mennonites that are you wouldn't be able to tell, you know, that they were. So they just got more and more progressive as time went on and they broke off and created their own churches. Did you ever, were you able to ever have like an in-depth discussion with them about oh, yeah, know, why, yeah. why it is, you know, how they ended up? I mean, obviously a lot of it comes from the family, but do you remember yeah, any of those? Know, you know, my my wife uh, used to board her horse at one point at an Amish farm, and he it was a this was an Amish farm. It was an intercourse, Pennsylvania of all places. Um, so it was an intercourse, and uh, the Amish won't have phones in the house. Now they all have cell phones. Yeah. They all have cell phones, but they don't use them in the house. They have to be outside the house. Uh, but at that day, back then, they didn't have cell phones, but they would have a phone in like a little phone booth outside. It, it was almost like a payphone booth mm-hmm. <laughs> or in the barn. They would have them in the barn and they would go out and you knew that if you had to call them, maybe they were a farrier or maybe they were made furniture or whatever they did. Um, you would have to call them for an hour in the morning and you would know that between eight and nine, they were out in their phone booth. And that's when they'd make all their calls. It's like between eight and nine. <laughs> so it was the most bizarre thing. And you, I think you were about to say you were, you, you, you did have some in-depth discussions with them about, about their beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we would. uh, Yeah. And I knew a lot about them growing up in Leicester County. You knew you knew about the Amish and the Mennonites. And, you know, there are times when when we're swamped with work that I think that would be a much simpler life. (laughs) What's interesting about that is, you know, now you're you're doing something that has you, I imagine, uh, connected a bit with nature and with animals. What's your earliest recollection of um being connected with with nature or, or with the outdoors uh, marrying my wife oh yeah for sure yeah the only thing i knew about horses before i got married was they were a pain in the butt that they were always in our way on the roads that's the only thing i knew about horses you know typical teenager they were just in our way yeah uh so that's all i knew i had no desire to be around horses uh you know i buried into that and that's why my title is officially America's horse husband, mm-hmm. because I'm definitely the horse husband. Now I've owned more horses than her. And, you know, <laughs> all the listeners argue you're a horse guy now. Well, what makes me not a horse guy is I don't do blood and guts and injuries. Okay. Then I just that goes to my wife. You know, I I drive horses, I have carriages and things, and you know I can take care of the horses and I know all of that and I clean stalls and all of that. But when it comes, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> it's injuries. I'm out. I don't do blood. And that's uh, up to her. 
So when did you get your first cowboy hat? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, but she wrote English. She wrote English, which doesn't involve cowboy hats. So I only got a, my first cowboy hat because I thought they were cool. Okay. Uh, not because it was something that, that we wore. Yeah. And uh, I just thought I, I just wanted my own cowboy hat. You said she wrote English. Uh, what does that mean, actually? There's two styles of riding, okay. Western and English. Okay. And it's, it depends on the type of saddle. The Western saddles have the horn. Okay. You can hold on to. Yeah. And then the others, the, the English saddles do not. <clears throat> okay. Uh, and there's different disciplines within that. That's why, you know, it's funny. When we started our first podcast eight year, what, eight, almost nine years ago, and uh, friends would say to me, what are you going to talk about after a couple weeks? And here we are, <laughs> 10, episode, or 10 shows and 5,000 episodes later, and we're going to be adding two new shows uh, next month. Yeah. Uh, and uh, probably be up to 15 by the way it's looking by June now. When did you get the title of uh, Glenn the Geek? I got that when we did the, when we had our tax shop, when we had our retail business and we were, we started our website because nobody was doing web, websites back then. Yeah. And they didn't even have shopping carts back then. You had to send in checks. Yeah. You know, it was pretty rudimentary and we coded everything. And that's when I, uh, Jennifer kept saying, you're such a geek. So that's how I kind of got the title Glenn the Geek. And it stuck all along because I was always doing things before everybody else in the, in the tech world, especially in the horse world. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how that's why it's stuck. What when you think about the different communities and now that you're you with Horse Radio Network obviously, you're you're well entrenched in the the horse aficionado community and now as you've started, you know, as you've probably seen when you went to the conference and now as you're going to see as you're seeing more and more this other tribe that exists with with podcasters, can you draw any parallels between how those those two communities interact uh, within the, within themselves? Hmm. Interesting question. Uh, you know, it's interesting because in the horse world, up until recently, they've always been a couple years behind technology-wise on a whole, mm-hmm. on an average. So we have always fought. Th- so I, I can't draw a lot of correlations there, actually, mm-hmm. um, because technology horse people are addicted to horses. Hmm. They like consuming anything that's horse. So in that, in that, there's a little bit of this. Uh, I guess that is a little bit the same because podcasters like consuming anything podcasting, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess there's a little bit there, the addiction, the, the obsession with it. But with horse people, it goes to a whole different level. It truly is an addiction. They live it. They spend all their money on it. They live for their horses. And, you know, I've gotten the question a lot of times, why do you think the Horse Radio Network, that niche has worked when other and been so profitable when others haven't? And I think that's the advantage we have is that our people are truly addicted, spend all their thought, time and money on horses. And there's not a lot of other niches out there where it's to that obsessive point that horse people are. And I think that's what's helped us out. Uh, and, you know, I think about other niches, other things that I was trying to think of other things where people are that addicted. And you might have skiers, you might have other golfers are yeah. a good example. Yeah. Golfers. But again, because you're not owning a horse that takes up all of your time, you're with you're you're at all of your money. It's a very expensive sport. And you have an animal involved. That's what make, takes it beyond golf or skiing or any of those things. Uh, you know, that animal needs care every day, mm-hmm. day in, day out. You can skip golf for three days at a time, but you're not skipping feeding your horse or cleaning up, up after your horse or yeah. taking care of your horse. So that's what makes my niche so different than other niches. And I think why we have we have really succeeded and become the leader in, in our niche and horse people like to consume anything about horses. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing we did when we went in, and this is so important, is I didn't find anything back eight, nine years ago that w- there was a lot of content about how to train horses and it was all boring. It's very dry and very boring. And I said, we need some entertainment in the horse world. We meet, need to make it fun. And that's what we set out to do with the Horse Radio Network. Um, and also, the the horse world is very 
divided into niches, yeah. silos. And our mission statement, the Horse Radio Network's one sentence, and we had this from day one, and that's uniting the horse world one show at a time. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten a couple comments from very prominent people in the horse world this year that told me, out of the blue, they said, you know, I think your shows do more for uniting the horse world and getting people listening to other things than anything else in the media, in wow. the horse world. And I considered that a win right there because that's our mission statement. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you if if you've had a lot of interaction with um, I think they're called is it the show horses, the ones that are dressed up and they're they're oh called, yeah, yeah. That we have uh, the dressage is the real fancy dancing ones. Yeah, um, we have the dressage radio show. That's the the biggest. That's the only radio show for dressage in the world. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, we have a couple, actually, we have a couple of Grand Prix riders that host that. So they're top level Grand Prix, the highest level you can go. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're professionals. So that host that, and they're a lot of fun. Again, I always find we have 27 hosts now and I always find hosts that are fun. The first thing is they have to be entertaining. The second thing is people will learn something. Uh, so even with the professional hosts, they have to be entertaining. They have to be fun. Yeah. So when it comes to horses, I think there's a lot of people that you know they don't know a lot about the horses themselves, and I and I imagine they're they're fairly intelligent animals. What do you think are a couple of things about the the actual animal that that people really don't have a clear understanding of unless you work with them on a daily basis? They you 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 nailed it there. They all have personalities, like the one I Scooter, my pony, who I talked about is you know with that video. He's just you know, he he has he has an unbelievable personality, and they all have different personalities. You know how dogs have different personalities. Yeah. Well, horses are the same way. And horses, you know, when you think about what they do for us uh, in competition or just as a trail horse or whatever, you, there's the trust and a bond with a horse that you don't even that you can have with your dog, but you're not trusting your dog with your life in most cases. When you're riding a horse or you're driving a horse like I do, there's amount of trust there. They're trusting you not to put them in a situation where they're going to get hurt Mm -hmm. and you're trusting them to take you in a situation and out of a situation so nobody gets hurt there's a trust and a bond there that you don't have with any other animal situation uh to the degree that you have it with a horse so there there truly is a partnership and to develop that partnership in some cases takes years you know, it takes years of being together and just, you know, just being together. And, you know, even if you're just brushing them or, or that kind of thing, it's, it's, uh, that's what's involved in developing that relationship with your horse. And that bond, that relationship is what makes the, the horse human relationship special. You know, what's interesting, Glenn, is, is this, it's, it's one of those, relationship few relationships i would think where there's a, just a physical connection with the animal because you're you're riding the animal you know with a dog it's you have it and he's by your side you know you know all these domesticated animals cats and and whatnot and you know maybe you know i'm i'm, I'm almost hard pressed to think of another relationship where there's such a actually intimate connection where you can feel you know when, i mean imagine when you're you know the couple of times i've been on a horse just this feeling of power underneath you and and the ability that they can almost dictate where they want to go and oh, yeah. there's I mean, this real connection happening if the horse wants you off you're gone <laughs> <laughs> you're not staying on there and you're absolutely right if you watch dressage which you know most people have seen you know it is called horse dancing or whatever you want to call it um but you know if you watch dressage at the top top level the highest level you those riders you will not see them move yet they're doing the most intricate movements and the most beautiful stuff and the horses is all getting that from the tiniest little cues mm. little tiny movements in the leg little tiny movements of the hands on the reins those little tiny movements that's how sensitive they are well, this, I think it, this probably is something about an energy exchange happening with them. So, exactly. Yeah. And a lot of times that's what it, and the best riders, you won't see them move at all. Because there's been, uh, some, I mean, you've seen this on TV mentioned or something like that. Like they, they can sort of sense when you're scared, I would think. As, yep. Yeah. And they can sense when, when you're riding them, especially if you tense up, they're going to tense up mm. because they, you know, they can sense that you're tensing up and they're, and right away they're flight animals. So right away they're going, okay, something's wrong, huh. right? You know, you're tense thereby something's wrong and I need to pay it. I need to be alert here because something's happening. 
And it, and it can go the other way too. Obviously, the horse has their senses are a little more keen than ours, so they might see the threat before we do. And yeah. the threat might be a, be a paper bag blowing across the road or a plastic garbage bag, right? Wow. It, could, it could be the trash cans that are set out uh, for the trash man. It's weird, the, some of the things that set horses off. But, you know, whatever that threat is, they'll see it first, and then you sense it right away. Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't have to do much for you to sense because you are sitting on them. You're right. You have that intimate connection you're not having anywhere else. Plus the fact that it's dangerous. You know, they can hurt you. So there's oh, a lot yeah. of respect you have to have there. They can kill you. There's, you know, there's riders. Unfortunately, I see the news about any horse story in the world every day. And there's riders that die every week, every week. Wow. You know, we see riders dying around the world uh, and it's just they get kicked, they get thrown, they break their backs. I just was chatting with a girl from New Zealand who broke her back last year and now she's recovered and back to riding again. Uh, I had never seen the video. They actually had a video. I, never, I didn't know they had a video of her when she was training this horse of her falling off and breaking her back. And that was hard to watch today. Let me tell mm -hmm. you. Um but, you know, so that commands amount of respect there, too. You have to respect them because they're a big animal. Yeah, I think there's an aspect to it that uh, you need to swallow your pride and be a little humble around these animals because I think that they, they come with this inherent, uh, I don't know how you would describe it, but this just knowledge of, of this horse sense, if you will, that's carried through generations and generations. And like you said, like they can detect stuff that you can't even see or, or hear. And, and I think there's something to be said about respecting the amount of knowledge that's contained with it within them and, 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 you know, letting them do their thing. You know, we, um, I got something fun to tell you. This just happened this week, a couple days ago. There's a race called the Mongol Derby, and it is the most difficult, dangerous, longest horse race in the world. It's in Mongolia. It's a thousand kilometers, six about six hundred fifty miles, and there's forty people that enter that are allowed to enter. They screen you heavily for this, and then uh, you ride Mongolian ponies that are barely broke. They're pretty mm -hmm. wild. And you change horses twice a day, and you live with the Mongolian people on the steppes of Mongolia. Wow. You're, you're out on your own. I mean, you're on these horses. There's checkpoints where you check in to get your new horse, and then you're on your own. You're sleeping at night with the Mongolian people, eating the Mongolian food, drinking the fermented mare's milk, <laughs> um, and everybody gets sick. They all get violently ill from eating the food and drinking the, the milk. Uh, and they tell you to get there a week early so you can get sick before you leave yeah. on the trip. Um, three of my hosts signed up this year on a lark, and they all got accepted. So there, I have three of my hosts doing this this year. Wow. Do you think that's going to be podcasting gold or what? <laughs> totally. It's so And actually, oh right away, we said, okay, you guys are going to be doing your own show up until August. We're going to have you on once a month hosting and interviewing riders from previous years. I mean, this is dangerous. You have to sign all kinds of waivers that you could die. It's, it's, <laughs> it's incredible stuff. So... Yeah, so they're going to be doing it. It's very exciting for us. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you if you, as you were describing it, and as a horse lover, if that was something that was uh, that you were drawn to, or maybe not that you're married. No, 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 no. You have to be a, a true rider's rider to do this. It's it, it, that is so hard. I mean, you're riding 12, 14 hours a day in these ponies that are literally not broke. You're and you get on, and they they take off at a dead run, and you're at a dead run for 12 hours. Wow. For 10 days. Wow. <laughs> A lot of them get hurt. They've ever lifted a bunch of them out. Uh, riders get thrown or kicked or whatever. And, and, and it's, it is one of those extreme sports. As, as I think about you describing it, I'm wondering if you've ever had the chance to ride uh, bareback. Yes, and my wife did all, does all the time. Okay. Is that, yeah, she is that hard? Or? Eh, it depends on the horse. Yeah. <laughs> um, depends on the horse. It's harder than, obviously, with the saddle and stirrups. Yeah. Do, but, uh, yeah. do you have you done um, uh, a show or done any research into like the history of of horses and how they were? Oh yeah, how they we were do tamed? history segments all the time. Yeah. yeah, we do history segments every month uh, and go back in history, talk about individual horses or the beginning of horses, that kind of thing. Um, you know, we, we, I I love history. Liz Covart's show is one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, the Ben Franklin's World is yeah. one of my favorites because I love history. Liz, and is, Liz has been on the show. 
Yeah, and you know, actually, anytime she talks about horses, I ask her if I can steal her segment. I play it on my shows <laughs> because it's just so much fun. But I do love history, and that's why we do history segments. So, you know, I think uh, what's fascinating is uh, I just I there's history is always fascinating because you you sort of picture yourself in that era, and and there mu- there had to have been a time when you know who was the first person to try to domesticate and actually get on one of these animals that up until that time had just been able to just roam this this country freely yeah they're, they're finding evidence now that it's thousands of years yeah uh you know that that people were riding horses so it's been thousands and thousands of years obviously the you know the romans did it and chariots and all of that that's something i haven't done yet i've always wanted to drive a chariot i'm gonna do that's on my bucket list <laughs> is, is, do you know where that you're gonna actually do that oh i could probably i you know i know i can make a call and make it happen but i need to do that I definitely need to drive a chariot. That sounds that like so I, that's a, that's another level of horse control. Yeah, you got to have some balance. <laughs> I might get too old for that. I don't know, but I'm going to try it anyway. What's the worst that can happen? I fall out the back. Well, you're going to have to dress up as Ben Hur as well. <laughs> well, I've dressed up in uh, dresses and tights before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, of course, evil, right? <laughs> so, Coming from a Renaissance era, I, I met dress- my wife when I was pretty much uh, dressed like that. She always said she married me because I had nice legs and tights. So, <laughs> so if I, if I peel that onion one, one more layer back, like where did you get the the calling to go work at a Renaissance fair? I always loved the medieval stuff, and Renaissance fairs had just started. Yeah. And Pennsylvania had one of the first ones, and it was not too far from where I lived. So I just went over one day and. Uh, my mom made my costume and that was the very beginning. They really were trying to figure out Renaissance fairs. Yeah. And I showed up and, and, uh, just started playing with the actors. And then the head lady came over and said, do you want to join us? We need help. <laughs> uh, and that was how I started. That was my audition. Um, I knew nothing. And then, you know, the next year it got more organized and they actually got people in the train us dialect and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we got some actual training. <laughs> Uh, but the first couple of years, it was it was uh, some of us out by a parking lot trying to figure it out. That's funny. Out of your uh, three other siblings, are you, are you the one that would be characterized as the most uh, outgoing? Oh yeah, definitely. That, but they're all entrepreneurs. Interestingly enough, they oh, yeah. all own their businesses and work for themselves. Yep. What's um? Did you did you do, do any plays when you were younger? No. None of that. No, I should have. <laughs> <laughs> You know why I didn't? I can't memorize lines. Uh-huh. And that's why when we did the acting company, uh, we did all improv. And a matter of fact, there were a couple times, again, and I played the king. And the reason I played the king, one, I wanted to play the king. Two, I owned the company. And three, <laughs> I was also the director. Okay. So as the king, I could direct the show as we went. So when the king decreed something or said, you know, this actor do that, it was for a reason a lot of times because the food was late or something was happening that I was made aware of and I had to change the order of events of the show. So as the king, I could direct the show without anybody knowing. And, you know, so that's why I, I did that. And, you know, I just liked, you know, I, and, you know, I miss people bowing to me, to be honest. I kind of <laughs> miss that part. Are you, um, are you walking, dead, a long time. walking dead fan? Nobody bows, and my host won't bow to me anymore. Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay, no, there's a there's a character on there. His name is King Ezekiel. It's funny, <laughs> and he's got a huge. Uh, he used to work as at a, at a zoo, and he has a huge tiger as his mask. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess yeah. you anyone would bow to anyone who's got a, a like a tiger. Yeah, real one. <laughs> as a, yeah, as a mascot. What about Game of Thrones? No, no. You know, I never got into Game of Thrones either. I don't have time. Yeah, you know, we produce. Uh, between 50 and 60 episodes a month. Wow. And it's my wife and I, and we have a part-time editor. Okay. And Neil edits part-time for us. And then we do everything, website work. We do editing. We do the sales. We, you know, we have 32 sponsors, so we constantly are keeping track of what, you know, where they go. We have built systems for everything to keep track of everything. Um, so, and I spend probably 50% of my week on sales and sponsors. Okay. That's where I spend 50% of my week is selling. It never, it, that never ends. You know, what's interesting about that, that figure is I, I think it might catch a lot of podcasters by surprise. The fact that you dedicate that much and it shows obviously, because if you look at horse radio network, 
and you look at everything you've been able to do with the Radiothon, I think that's a testament to the fact that you're putting the time in and having these conversations on a consistent basis so that you can, you know, reap the benefits. And I think, I think most podcasters early on, they're like, well, I'll spend, you know, 5% of my time or an hour a week. And, and I don't think you get to where you've, you've arrived, uh, by not, putting in the time necessary to have these conversations with people who could be beneficial for your show. I still use, and I am not kidding. I'm talking to you right now on a $15 Behringer mic. Uh, now I have bought 42 of those over the years uh, from Amazon for all my hosts and sent them out or for our road kits. So, you know, we, we travel with, uh, with six mics and, you know, when we do our live events and, and record on the road, we, I think one of the mistakes that podcasters make is when you're starting any business, they tell you, you need to spend 80% of your time on marketing and 20% of the time on everything else. And that's how I looked at business, you know, and I know, I realize, and let's take all the podcasters who just are doing this for fun and don't care. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's take them out of the mix right now. So if your listeners, if you're, you know, because that's great, by the way, (laughs) I think that's wonderful. Um, But let's take them out of the wicks and let's say you do want to eventually do this full time or make some money at it. You got to be spending 80 percent of your time marketing and 20 percent of your time doing shows. Mm -hmm. That's what it takes to get it to the point where where we are, where where we have the sponsors. That has been that's happened because we've taken the time to build relationships, to make friends with sponsors. To We go to twice a year. We go to the wholesale retail show, and I talk to every wholesaler there. Hmm. And some of them, it's taken me eight years to get them to sign on. But now that we've gotten bigger, they see us everywhere, and they're going, well, now we should do it. Yeah. Or their competition is advertising with us, and now they want to do it just not to be left out. So, But it's taken eight years of seeing them twice a year, every year for eight years. And it's because we built a relationship, a friendship. We've helped highlight new products at no cost for them over the years. And we've, we've really helped them. We've helped them, which is why they, they've in turn come back. And, you know, we value our relationships and we work hard with our sponsors. I just had our, our longest sponsor, oldest one's eight years old, and she just renewed now. And she's our largest sponsor, too, by the way. She just renewed for another two years. How many podcasts can say they've had this? Their biggest sponsor has been with them for 10 years. Not many. <laughs> Most you podcasts know, and, haven't been around that long. <laughs> and, and never missed a week ever. Wow. You know, and she she is also our best payer, too, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, but that comes through cultivation, through time. None of what I have done has cost anything. Our equipment barely costs anything. What has what it has cost me is time, is a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And that's hard when you have another job, and I know that. And that's why. And by the way, it doesn't get any. Even when you're full time at this, I don't care what anybody tells you. If you're still trying to grow your business, where you know, my wife and I work a hundred hours a week, hmm. and that's never changed because I, I always want to be growing it. You know, I'm I'm never happy. I always want it to be bigger. I always want to be doing new things, and I always want to be leading the way. And you can't lead the way by by not spending the time. Yeah. Now I'm using my time more wisely now, but still 50% of that time is spent selling or cultivating sales. Do you, I'm wondering Glenn, like who, you know, because everyone listens to this and people have heard you on other shows and they're incredibly inspired by what you do, especially podcasters. But I'm wondering who inspires you? I think anybody with a passion, and I know this sounds like a cliche general answer, but it's anybody anybody with a passion to do to do to, to do the extreme i'll tell you what i'll tell you who inspires me right now in the podcasting world and i'm kind of mentoring him now mm-hmm. and he does a podcast on and i'm going to put a plug in for him you can cut it out if you want no. but um he, his name is uh steve adams and he does a podcast he hiked the appalachian trail he was 61 years old he was out of shape He'll tell you, fat and out of shape, never hiked a day in his life, bought the equipment, started the Appalachian Trail, and hiked the whole 2,200 miles in six months. Um, And he's doing a podcast now. It's called Mighty Blue and the Appalachian Trail. I I love this podcast. I love him. Talks to other people who have done it. 
what an inspiration for a guy to go out totally out of shape and say, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then he wrote a couple books about it. Now he started a podcast. The podcast is going very well. Uh, you know, I'm kind of helping him, uh, you know, make it better along the way and to build it into a business because I think he can own the hiking world. Mm -hmm. Another area where people are very passionate. Oh, yeah. And spend a lot of money. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Or time. A lot yeah. of money and time. Yeah. So they're very interested in listening about it, too. He's very engaging. Those kind of people inspire me. I'm actually more inspired now by looking at new podcasters that I find, and I love helping them grow. Um, but there's two things I look at when somebody asks me for help, and I don't charge for that. You know, it's just some if I if I if I like what you're doing, I'll offer to help. And if you want help, I'll help you. Yeah. But one one of the things I look at, and don't come to ask me for help unless this is true. I look at the last year of your shows, and if you've missed an episode, if you have gone off schedule, I will not help you. Huh. That is my biggest pet peeve, is you have to, if you ever hope to make it a business, you have to be on schedule. You have a, I view it this way. You have a contract with your listener. Yeah. You have an obligation to your listener. Your listener counts on you being there. They have made you part of their lives. And if you miss week and then turns into two weeks and turns into three, and then you're going to pod bait eventually, if you do that... You've broken that contract with the listener and you've disappointed the listener because they have kept you. They have made you part of their lives and you didn't respect them enough to take to be sure that you've you've kept your obligation to them. I am so passionate about that. And especially now, if you're doing it for fun and that's just what it is, is what it is, and you don't care, that's fine. And that's fine. It really is fine. But if you ever want to make it a business and you ever want to have a sponsor, you cannot do that ever. Very nice. Yeah, that's. I think that's going to be the uh, the snippet that I start the episode with. Uh, you can't because <laughs> you know what? If my sponsors looked well, right now, you know, if I miss an episode, I owe them money. Yeah, yeah, of course. I have to pay them back. Yeah, you know, because but even before you have a sponsor, you have to treat it like a business. If you want to make this a business, then from episode one, you have to treat it like a business. And the other one that I'm really passionate about right now and getting the word out, and I'm going to talk about this at PodFest. You're coming to PodFest, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so excited to see everybody again. <laughs> um, and if you're not coming to PodFest, you should be. It is. That's where I, by the way, that's where I learned there was other podcasters was I went to PodFest yeah. here two years ago and went, oh, my God, there's other podcasters because I was so <laughs> insulated doing my own thing. I didn't even know. Um, so I went and I just. I just learned so much. I learned so much at these things. I always take something away that makes my business better. Yeah. But, you know, when I can't tell you how passionate I am about this, and I'm going to talk about this at PodFest, you have to develop media relationships too in your business. You have to, in your niche, go out to every blogger, every magazine, every media source that you can find that's in your niche and make friends with them. We have seven, 70 media partners now. 70 organizations that we have some kind of relationship with that are in the media, whether they're bloggers or whether they're TV networks or whatever. And they come on our shows and do updates. And in exchange for that, they promote our shows or our shows are on their networks or on their websites. You know, our, the biggest newspaper in the United States for horses, our shows are on their website. Hmm. We have that relationship with 70 organizations. That's what it takes to grow listeners. And when you grow listeners and, oh, by the way, when sponsors see you on their websites and see you in their social media when they're promoting your shows, they then they take notice and go, well, what, who's this? Uh, and, oh, by the way, a lot of those right now, magazines are the biggest thing coming up next year. Magazines are going to be the largest group getting into podcasting. If you don't make friends with them now and become their podcast, work with them to become their podcast yeah. or to start one with them. And because they, they also they're going to be doing one to com to compete with you. Mm -hmm. Magazines are I have all the new shows I have starting next year are all magazines. Wow. And oh, by the way, they already have sponsor relationships. The two I have started, I started in the last couple of months that were magazines were sold out their first episode. Wow. The two of them made a thousand dollars in profit over what they paid us to produce their first episode. 
because they already had relationships with sponsors. All they had to do was go through magazine sponsors and say, I've got something new for you. And, and what they sold out in a day. And what they told me was, this was the most fun we've had selling in a long time because all of their magazine sponsors said to them, oh, well, we've been looking for something other than print. Hmm. So now it was a magazine offered them something else other than print. They already have the relationship. They're going to trust the magazine. Magazines are going to have an easy time selling sponsors because they already have the relationships. So magazines is where we're going to see we're going to see the growth, the the profitable growth in podcasting over the next year. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I I, I help. Uh, I mean, I have clients that I work with now, and some are actually looking for sponsors before we even launch, which I think is fantastic. And I and I tell them, I mean, you they're spending that money somewhere, <laughs> and there's no reason to think that they haven't um, gotten tired of not seeing the rate of return that they would like to with some of these others, or in something like a billboard that you know you just put it up there and you hope it gets you some sort of activity. And I think what they're seeing now is the direct correlation between listenership and engagement. And and like to your point, I mean, just that's why they're really high on podcasts right now. I always tell potential sponsors that, and this is a rule in sales, that 20% of the audience buys 80% of the stuff, hmm. right? That 20%, what we call the buyers, the other 80% are casual. They're not what we consider buyers. That 20% is also your listeners because they're active and engaged. They're not listen. They didn't come find your show and go through the hassle of figuring out how to listen to a podcast and then download it and then take the time to do it. It's an effort. It's not something that's, you know, that they, they do naturally. It's an effort, right? Yeah. They've gone through the effort. They're the active, engaged listeners. They're also the 20%. They're the buyers. So, you know, what I tell my sponsors is if you want to reach that 20% and, and really bypass the 80%, if you want to go to that core 20%, then you advertise in my podcasts. Hmm. And, and last year, our title sponsor, the retailer for Radiothon, one 12-hour day, they said they brought the charts, and they advertise everywhere. They advertise banner ads, magazines everywhere. They're a big retailer. They came to me in January and said, I want to show you a chart. And I had no idea about this. And the chart was where they got the most return, tracking codes and traffic and, and just comments from listen, or from customers. And we were double. We were at the top. Horse Radio Network was by far at the top, double any other source. And they signed on for a year-long contract with us this year after that test last year during Radiothon because we we have the active, engaged buyers. But don't do it yourself. Go out and find – you know, these magazines, the one problem they have is they're all short on staff. Yeah. So if you already have a podcast in skiing, let's say, go to the skiing magazines and say, I already got this started. Let's work together. They'll work with you. If you're already established and you figured out the podcasting thing, they don't want to have to figure out the podcasting thing. They don't have the time. They don't have the experience and they don't have the manpower. So you go to them and make it easy for them, split sales, work out a deal there where they'll pay you part of that advertising. Oh, by the way, they're selling it. So you'll be happy to take 25, 50%, whatever deal you make. Yeah. They're happy to make some money on it and not have to do it. That's where the opportunity is for podcasters that are already out there today. Even if you're not making a dime, go find those blogs, those, those magazines in your space and just ask. Develop a relationship with them just like you have with your listener. Wow. Fantastic, fantastic way to, to wrap up this episode. I That's know. It. We went way too long. I'm no, sorry. No, no, not at all. I mean, I could <laughs> probably go for another hour. I think um, I, mean, I always like to end on a high note. And I'm, I mean, I've got goosebumps just from this, this these last 10, 15 minutes because I can feel the passion when you talk about this. And like it's, Well, you I, know why? I, I know we're supposed to be done. Sorry, no, Eric. no, no, no. Keep I'm going. never done talking about no, this stuff. Keep Do you going. know why I'm so passionate about it? Because I want to see this industry succeed. And I do have a concern. Pod fading is still at 95%. Hmm. We can't continue as an industry where 95% of people fail, right? Yeah. They yeah. don't succeed. They, they pod fade for whatever reason it is. It doesn't matter even what the reason is. The fact is, what is it, 99? You probably know the number better than me. But, you know, when I look through iTunes, 90 to 95% of them are still gone <laughs> yeah. and have pod faded. We as an industry have to make sure that doesn't happen. And I have a vested interest in making sure that doesn't happen, right? That we all get better at this and that we do make money. 
You know, my livelihood depends on the industry doing well. And I'm, and when I talk about the industry, I'm talking about the independent podcasters like you and I, because the corporates are good. You know, they're going to do fine because they're funded, right? They're, yeah. They have staff. So we yeah. don't have staffs. We're, we're independents. But for independents to still be around in 10 years and it not be all corporate, we have to figure it out. And that's why I'm trying to help as many people as I can figure it out because it helps all of us. Amen, brother. <laughs> now I'm done. Very, very cool. Well, I'm, 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 there's no shortage of uh, knowledge bombs, if you will, that you always share every time I, I hear you on a, on a podcast. And you definitely had a bunch of stuff uh, that was uh, really solid takeaways. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more note taking than usual on this episode, because I, I think this, that last piece, especially about the magazines is something that uh, and, the, and the fact that you spend 50% of your time doing it, I think it's just something that needs to to be heard over and over again for our fellow podcasters and and I think with someone like you uh spreading the good word I I, I think that you, you you show by example right it's not something that you're saying and, and not doing and and they can see the results that you've had they can and it, I can only can only imagine where you're going to be in three or four years because you were such a pioneer you know back in 2008 and now you're you've you're executing at a at a just at the you're performing at the top level of, of the podcasting um game and, and I, i'm just really excited to see where where you end up now if somebody wants to buy me out for a million dollars that's <laughs> listening uh I, I you know i'll be happy to just talk on the mic and you can do all the other stuff just throwing it out there i would not be surprised <laughs> so uh just to uh wrap up with a, with a couple of lighter lighter questions um yeah. glenn what's what's the one most misunderstood thing about you oh i've never been asked that before uh the most misunderstood thing boy that's a good question I think, oh, I know. I'm sorry it took so long. Nice. I think people think that it's been easy. Mm. I've gotten that where people think it just comes easy. You know, I am a natural salesman, mm -hmm. but it's not easy. We have scraped and worked 100 hours a week for nine years. So we've only gotten where we are because, because we've worked. So it's not easy. And I think that people think that and or they think it just comes easy to me. I, I just I've made the mistakes. I figured out how not to make them again and then keep doing it over and over and over again every week for years. And that's, you know, we didn't grow to this after the end of the first year. We had 120 listeners you know, and we didn't, you know, it took time just like it takes everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely something people have misconceptions about. So I'm glad you, you spoke about that. What have you changed your mind about recently? Hmm. Boy, you're asking me. I'm sorry I'm taking so long. No, okay. I've never been asked these questions before. <laughs> Good, Harry. Good on you. What have I changed my mind about recently? I don't know if this is changing my mind, but we have decided that we were going to start crossing things off our bucket list. I'm 54 now, mm -hmm. and we're actually taking more time off, which, by the way, is a pain in the butt because we don't miss episodes. Um, so I think what we've, you know, I changed my mind about my outlook on getting things done. I've always thought, well, we have, you know, I have all the time in the world. And I don't have all the time in the world anymore. So we're starting to cross the travel off our bucket lists this year. We want to hike two weeks in the in the Colorado Rockies. Um, so we're training for that. Uh, you know, so it's just I think that's what I changed my mind about. I, it's just it's time now. Yeah. Yeah. Because what's the purpose of like performing at the top of your game if you if you feel like at, you know to, maybe you'll get burned out or there's all these aspects of this you know just within this country so many beautiful places to see and and i think you, you know maybe you don't want to feel <laughs> when you get to the end that like oh i, I kicked ass and in, in business but then this other aspect of my life i just sort of left it undone because i just never felt like there was enough time yeah but we have a pretty cool job too oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, Glenn, I appreciate you being uh, more than generous with your time and with your information and with your uh, experience. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> Horseradionetwork.com, and we have an app, yeah. too. Go to the App Store, iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. Wishing you and uh, your Horse Radio Network family and your personal family of incredibly happy holidays. And I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, getting together in, in Florida as well at that PodFest conference. Me, too. So what I tell you? 
That was that was so jam packed with amazing nuggets of podcaster gold. I can't imagine you weren't pausing that, taking notes, and just being overall inspired by everything Glenn was saying. I was really happy to have the opportunity to 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 chat with him. It's one of those relationships that we had virtually because we have mutual podcasting friends, but I knew I had to t- to speak to him. <laughs> it's just one of those things that when you hear so much about someone, I wanted to have him on and see if uh, I could have a different type of conversation, which um, I hope I did. For those of you that have heard him on other shows, I hope you got a little bit more out of him and were inspired to hear uh, a bit more about his backstory, which is always a fun thing to do, to dig in deep and to really give you the behind the scenes picture of what all these uh, podcasters are like and you know we all we've all got different stories and and I think those stories need to be told so we are a part of the podcastica network and if you haven't checked out podcastica podcastica.com all the fantastic shows that are there um we're looking to possibly add some new shows in 2017. So stay tuned for more information about that. Cedar and Soil produces my intro and outro, aka George Abiana. Check out cedarsoil.com. Don't forget to visit podbean.com slash podcast junkies. If you're thinking of starting a podcast or looking for a great home for your show, don't forget you'll get one month free if you sign up with the special URL and you can try all of Podbean's great hosting features. Podbean.com slash podcast junkies. So for this week, we'll have a little bit of fun and we'll go with the hashtag of Town Crier Glenn. <laughs> I couldn't resist since you mentioned that uh, his Renaissance Fair history. So it's Town Crier capital T-O-W-N, capital C-R-Y-E-R, and it's Glenn with two N's, G-L-E-N-N, and you can tag Glenn at Horse Radio, that's his Twitter handle, and of course we are podcast underscore junkies. So stay tuned next week when I have a great conversation with Katie Kremitzos, she's the host of Biz Women Rock. We met as usual, podcast movement, but that was in 2015, and I've been meaning for the longest time to have her on the show. We connected again. Uh, I connected with her and her husband, Chris, at Podcast Movement, and uh, Chris is actually spearheading the PodFest conference that's happening in Florida in February, so make sure you get your tickets for that as well. So tune in for that. It's going to be a fantastic and fun conversation. Uh, Katie is just a bundle of joy and energy and I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Thanks again for all you do. Again, uh, the call to action is to head on over to podcastjunkies.com. Leave me a comment on SpeakPipe. Uh, that'll be uh, the consistency through the rest of this year. And uh, this may be the last uh, episode of the year if I don't record anything specifically for the holidays. So I just want to take this moment to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening um, this long and and. Uh, for all the folks that have been listening since the beginning, I can't tell you how happy I am um, and honored that you've been part of this journey. I'm looking forward to great things happening in 2017, still going strong, not getting tired of speaking to amazing podcasters, and I do it because uh, because of the love I have for podcasting and because of uh, the listeners that I have and the responsibility, responsibility that's a hard one, uh, I have to you guys as well. So thanks again for your time. Happy holidays, happy new year. I love you guys and uh, we'll talk soon or I'll talk soon and you'll listen. That's usually how it works. See ya.